0: Hey bidding lawyers, welcome to the podcast. What is judicial clerkship? What work does it include? How beneficial it is to young law graduates? To explain this, we have with us Mr. Karan Khaitani. Hi Karan.
1: Hi, hi Prasanna. Thank you for the invitation. Really glad to be here with you.
0: Karan Khaitani is a 2019 batch alumnus of NLU Tamil Nadu. Straight after law school, he was appointed as a judicial law clerk by the Chief Justice of Delhi High Court. He has worked on matters concerning educational policy, intellectual property law, and law related to arbitration. In this episode, we will be talking about his experience as a law clerk at the Delhi High Court. So, let's start. Karan, firstly, please tell our audience what exactly a judicial clerk, or also known as a law clerk, means.
1: So, Prasanna, as the name suggests, uh, judicial clerkship is basically uh, a short-term contractual assignment. Uh, which is taken by a law graduate uh, to work under the office of a judge, basically to assist him in discharge of, uh, broadly put, basically to assist him in discharge of his administrative and judicial functions of the court to which the concerned judge is there. Basically, if you you talk about judicial clerkship, uh, in foreign jurisdictions, the post is called as a judicial clerk, which we uh, often commonly refer to as a law clerk as well. But in most of the high courts of the countries, especially Delhi High Court, the post is referred to as a law researcher. If you talk about other high courts uh, like Rajasthan High Court or Allahabad High Court, the post is also often referred to as the legal researcher. Uh, In the Supreme Court of India, uh, the post is referred to, uh, according to the best of my knowledge, it's referred to as law clerk come judicial assistant or research assistant. So uh, basically, it's it's just a, a, you know, a synonym of, of, of the post. Uh, broadly, we can term it as a judicial law clerk, a person who assists the judge in discharge of his administrative and judicial functions.
0: Yeah, so basically, it's the same thing. Uh, the names are different, just like uh, the public prosecutor. Uh, yes. You go to different places, you will uh, come to know its named differently, but it's the same thing. But I think we, someone must <laughs> clear this confusion up because it creates confusion. Uh, law students don't know much about it and uh, they wonder what is law clerk, what is judicial clerk, what is a legal assistant suddenly <laughs> those people I who don't i I
1: completely understand that that doubt yours in a lot of uh, law students when they are in law school as to uh there's a notification by the high court. it says that they are they are so they uh, they're uh, recruiting legal researchers. Is it the same thing which the Supreme Court appoints as judicial clerks? so 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 there is a confusion amongst that but i would like to clarify that uh, broadly all of these positions classify as a law as a law clerk as a judicial clerk so uh, when you when you file for uh, applications, master master's applications abroad, you can mention your degree as, as a judicial, uh, you, sorry, uh, not degree, you can mention your post as judicial law clerk stroke law, law researcher because foreign jurisdictions tend to understand the law, judicial law clerk phrase more conveniently rather than a law researcher. So clarifying it broadly, both of the things mean the same. It's just that these rules are framed by each and every high court differently. These rules are framed on the administrative side by the by the High Court or the Supreme Court differently, and hence whatever the administration wants to term
0: it, they term it. Right. Uh, how does one get appointed as a judicial clerk in a High Court or a Supreme Court? Maybe.
1: So let's uh, let's talk about the Supreme Court first. Supreme Court is uh, is to my mind the uh, only judicial institutions as far as uh, recruitment of law clerks is con- uh, concerned, which conducts an examination on its administrative side for recruitment of law clerks. Now, that examination is conducted by the Supreme Court Registry. And I think uh, the applications open uh, in in April or May of each and every calendar month. And then the exam is conducted, uh, let's say, a month or a couple of months later. Uh, The registration fees, according to me, is 200 rupees. And uh, you can conveniently choose a center, uh, amongst the various cities which is uh, which are available in india i think there is one section of, of 50 marks which is about the general awareness uh, which tests on general knowledge and then th- 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 there are other sections so the supreme court website has this notification about uh, recruitment of uh, of law clerks which gets revised each and every year so if if a student follows that then i think i, I also want to point out here that many students get uh, you know uh, get troubled in their minds because they usually follow third party websites. I mean, uh, third following third party websites is a good thing. Uh, for for, for broadening your knowledge base but according to me an aspirant should actually verify the details which are there on the third party website from the actual website of the court because that consists or comprises of the actual information and many students sort of uh, mix it up with other high courts each and every high court has a different uh, criterion altogether Uh, that, that That's what about the Supreme Court, as I told you, that Supreme Court conducts a law clerk examination. If I talk about high courts, high courts do not uh, conduct any examination to say. The position is offered based on an interview which, which is conducted by the judge concerned. So, uh, what a student can do is, as far as the Delhi High Court is concerned, I will be primarily talking about two High Courts, Delhi High Court and Rajasthan High Court, because I am from Rajasthan and I work at Delhi High Court. So, these are the two jurisdictions I am broadly aware about. As far as Delhi High Court is concerned, uh, if an applicant wants uh, inspires to be a judicial clerk, the first thing they can do is they can write to the Registrar General of the Delhi High Court. The address and everything is... Even on the website of the court, they can post an application to the, to the registrar with a CV and, and a cover note that they aspire to be a law researcher. This is also the process which is followed to be a law intern under the chambers of the judge. And what the registry uh, or the concerned registrar essentially does is the registrar essentially forwards a compilation of those applications to the private secretaries which are attached to the office of each and every judge. The private secretary then in turn uh, brings it to the notice of the concerned judge. And then according to the requirements or vacancies which are available, then the concerned person is contacted and then the position is essentially offered subject to an interview which I uh, mentioned in the beginning. Uh, as far as Raj- Rajasthan High Court is concerned, Rajasthan High Court has a form of uh, the recruitment process, as a form of advertisements which are uh, advertisement circulars uh, circulars which are released on the websites of of the website of the Rajasthan high court so what they essentially do is there's a notification for each and every law clerk position uh, which opens up in Rajasthan high court the registry essentially calls up for applications, Rajasthan High Court website calls for applications. They say that this is the judge under whom the vacancy has arisen. There is one vacancy or two vacancies, as as the case may be. And the students can send and the aspirants can send their applications to the concerned registrar by email or by post, whatever the mode is prescribed. And then an interview happens. So if I may put it in words, maybe that may seem to be a more transparent sort of a procedure to aspirants. Uh, because the because the name of the applicants are disclosed on the website and uh, which applicant has been selected, which applicant is in the wait list, everything is uh, told by the Rajasthan High
0: Court. Yeah, so uh, basically, uh, because every High Court has sort of autonomy in its internal working matters, so each High Court has a different procedure. But uh, as you said in Delhi High Court, so you can up- make an application. So is it like you can make an application anytime throughout the year?
1: Yes, you can make an application anytime throughout the year. But what I would suggest is this is what I personally did. Um, I interned. I personally work work under honorable Mr. Justice Rajiv Shukla. So during the uh, during my law school, in my fourth year, I interned under uh, in his chambers, and. Um, I sort of got to know the working, uh, the expectations which the judge has from his law clerks and what are the demands of the work, what is the work environment. So I would, uh, may, there are many students who just go behind the tag of being a judicial clerk uh, or a law clerk. I would suggest to the contrary as far as this practice is concerned because, you know, as as a law clerk, law clerk involves, I, I'm sure this also might be... Uh, a question in your bucket as to what work profile does a law clerk has. So I would want to, as far as my contractual letter is concerned, I would want to, uh, to you know, open the uh, discussion. I would want to tell you that as far as my contractual letter is concerned, I'll read it out to you. Uh, the du- There's a column of duty hours. So it says that uh, a law researcher may be required to attend the office or residential office of the Honorable Judge to whom he or she is attached to. Even on gazetted holidays or local holidays, the duty hours shall be fixed by the honourable judge concerned. There is no defined work profile. Whatever the judge says is the work. Whatever the work hours are given by the judge are the work hours. So, you know, in that case, because it is the it is the starting point of, a, of, of any aspirant whatsoever, I would suggest that a person shortlists the chambers he wishes wishes to he or she wishes to apply to and then specifically direct his or her own application to that particular chamber i would suggest that they first intern in that chamber in in let's say their, their law school life and then maybe uh, they they will have better chances also and they'll have they'll have an edge over other law clerks let's say or they'll also be able to assist the judge better because uh, law clerkship involves a mundane task of you know fact checking orders judgments which are pronounced on a daily basis and basically it's a research oriented uh, task so you need to assist the judge concerned with with your research inputs on matters which come up on a daily basis you need to you need to brief the judge concerned about the matters which are listed uh, let's say tomorrow uh, you have you have to read all the case files this is this is entirely different from a litigator office which a person would have interned under earlier Insofar as an office of an attorney is concerned, you you are just uh, you know cha- your energy just has to be channelized in one particular direction. You know that this is the case you have to set up before the honorable court. You know that these are the facts, and you have to search case laws on specific points. Mm. In the office of the judge, the good the good uh, the best part is that you will be working from the scratch. The plaint comes to you. You hear arguments of both the sides. And then the judge may use his law clerk as, uh, as you know, as a sounding board uh, to test propositions of law. Then you can give your own inputs. So you need to balance arguments of both the sides. You need to have a crisper understanding which, which one inculcates in his experience as a law clerk. And then uh, you have to... So th- there are no fixed hours as well. I remember myself and my other fellow law clerks working for almost 15 to 16 hours also. Mm. Uh, a day we, we reached the Delhi High Court uh, before the COVID time. Of course, we used to reach the Delhi High Court at about 10 o'clock and then we used to uh, get off from the High Court at about 10 in the night and then we again used to go to the judge's house and work uh, and, and all that. So so it's, it's it's a very mundane task and it's it's backbreaking. So, breaking but, but, but it has its own thrills. Basically, what a law clerk position offers you, it, it acts as a bridge before a student who has just graduated jumps to the field of litigation or whatever he or she wants to do, let's say he wants to be a judicial services aspirant, before you dive into that field, it gives you a bridge to uh, understand the complex issues of law from the perspective of the bench. And then you can apply those things which you have learned. This is a very important aspect of law, the decision-making process of law. Once you understand how decision-making is done, it, it helps you to, you know, uh, propose a meticulous solution to any problem whatsoever involving any uh, complex set of facts. So, so that, that, that's how uh,
0: a position of a law clerk helps an aspirant. Okay, so Karan, uh, can you tell me the main requirements a court considers while hiring a judicial clerk?
1: So uh, the best thing about uh, a position of law clerk is that there is no uh, PQE which is required in most of the jobs. Uh, many aspirants would complain that they require an experience of one year or, or or a couple of years. A judicial clerk position does not require any prior experience whatsoever. So that is actually a position which is made for freshers. Insofar as experience is concerned, there is no professional experience which is required. All, all I said. Is that you need to have a good command? See, as far as uh, the law clerk position is concerned, it it actually vests the appointment actually vests within the sole discretion of the judge concerned. All right. Mm-hmm. So maybe when you go for an interview, one particular ju- that, that's why it's important to you know uh, know about the office in which you intend to work. See, let's say I will talk about my personal example. When I went uh, to give to give my interview you know i wasn't asked about the complex questions on arbitration law or or, or whatever i was asked general questions that depends on judge to judge basis i have a few friends in, in rajasthan high court who are working as legal researchers i asked them as to what uh, as to how was your interview and uh, one, one said that uh, one judge asked specific sections as to what what do you mean by this principle of law what is what does this section what does this order of the civil procedure code uh, signify so maybe uh, my advice is that you need to have a general understanding of the law and the good thing uh, by which you can gain an edge over is uh, you can see the website of the concerned high court you can uh, the inter- you can see the office under which you are uh, going to give interview let's say you you're, you're going to in, uh, uh, give your interview under xyz uh, chambers you can see from the website of the court as to what roster that of that chamber is, is presently handling. What is a roster is that the chief justice of the concerned High Court or, or let's say the Supreme Court frames roster of judges. Roster includes the types of matters which a particular judge will hear in a given period in which that roster is effective. Mm. So let's say that chamber is handling uh, matters of educational policy. So you should be aware. This, again, this is not a hard and fast rule, but it is advisable that you should be aware about what are the recent decisions. Uh, let's say in in the field of educational law, and you know, is there a landmark, recent landmark ruling of the Supreme Court or or the High Court? You should also uh, you know follow. I remember one law clerk of a uh, friend of mine of from Rajasthan High Court. He was telling that recently when when he gave, uh, when he went to give his interview. A couple of days ago, only that particular judge had uh, pronounced, uh, had authored a judgment on on one particular issue. So he was asked actually as to what is his understanding on that principle of law. He he gave his understanding, but then uh, the judge said that you I wrote this judgment, uh, are you aware of that? Unfortunately, he was not aware of that, but that did not prejudice his application in any manner whatsoever, but I'm just giving you a general overview as to what questions to expect in an interview. There is no uh, you know, fixed uh, requirement as to what uh, the judge sees. It is, it basically is the discretion of the judge and, uh, and the discretion can be exercised or as I said, uh, after the interview is conducted on your uh, legal skills or let's say speaking skills or presentability skills, it's it's, it's basically should be an overall package if I can yeah. say that.
0: But you can do some preparation by just going to the job description in the notification or some, just yes. knowing what type of matters that judge is handling
1: general principles of law you should definitely know about because you have you would have studied those in law schools uh, in addition to that uh, as i advised you can you can see what roster is that judge particularly uh, presently handling and then you can uh, sort of research upon that roster a bit you can also get in touch with uh, the law clerks who are presently working under that judge and yeah, you can yeah, that is a good
0: point yeah
1: and then you can get to know more about so so if you are not able to get in touch with those law clerks, that is why I uh, advised that you should be interning under the chamber first, because then you will have an understanding as to what your boss expects from you. Once you have an understanding as to what is the task, uh, you what will what will be a position which you will be pushed into, then maybe you will be able to uh, show your skills and talents better.
0: Right, right. right. And you'll also build some contacts. Yes, yes. You can refer to.
1: Another good thing about position of law clerk is that high courts or Supreme Court function, as you might know, on roster. These rosters, there is no, uh, you know, uh, hard and fast rule about when the roster would change. But technically, as I have observed in the Delhi High Court, it changes within six months. Six to seven months, a new roster comes up. So the good thing about law clerk is, see, I'll, I'll tell you from my example. I started uh, my job in June 2019. As soon as I uh, graduated uh, from the law school, I started the, this position. At that point in time, the judge I am working under, we had Arbitration and Conciliation Act matter. So we were hearing petitions for appointment of arbitrations for, uh, you know, Section 9 petitions, uh, Section 11 petitions in, uh, concerning Arbitration Act. After that, our roster within, uh, I think, within three to four months, our roster changed to uh, a very, very interesting roster of educational matter. That roster had uh, banking matters also, educational matters also, and matters related to Delhi Development Authority also. Uh, while working in that roster, after uh, a period of three to four months, now from March 2020, we have the roster of commercial matters. So you see, what is the point I'm trying to build upon? The point I'm trying to build upon is that despite of the fact as to whatever the research area or specialization of a particular candidate may be, law clerk is a position which gives you a field to explore diaspora of legal issues and varied legal interests of maybe any field. So maybe in law school, you would be interested about arbitration, you know, because Maybe you have studied arbitration. You have done arbitration moots, and and you know you you just you wrote about arbitration. So you inculcated a research interest towards arbitration. Let's say maybe while you come uh, while you act as a judicial clerk, you are true to your arbitration side. But let's say that. While dealing with commercial matters on a day-to-day basis, you 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 gathered a interest a novel interest altogether in intellectual property law because those are the kinds of matters you are dealing with. Each and every matter has a different issue altogether. Each and every matter, uh, each and every roster, uh, as I told you, has has a different flavor of law altogether. So that sort of uh, brings you under the small small umbrellas which are which co- get covered under the bigger umbrella of law. So uh, a law clerk. In this time period, let's say, it, it's usually for one year or a couple of years, the, the judicial clerkship, it, it gives an aspirant a, a sort of a freedom to explore as to what he or she wants to do uh, with the career in law in which uh, he has, you know, uh, placed his foot in. So, so so that's one of the important uh, aspects of, of a law clerk's position.
0: Okay, so uh, do the courts pay a salary or a stipend to each judicial clerks?
1: So uh, I would call it as a stipend. You can say a consolidated salary also. As far as Delhi High Court is concerned, it pays 35,000 rupees per month. As far as Rajasthan High Court is concerned, I'm informed it pays 50,000 rupees per month. As far as Supreme Court is concerned, uh, it pays 50,000 rupees per month, which I think by a recent notification, I'm informed by a recent notification, it has been uh, increased to 65,000 for a law clerk who has done, who has already completed an year with, as as, as his position of law
0: clerk. So uh, do you mean that it can be extended beyond a year?
1: No, only in the Supreme Court, there's a recent notification that... Oh, are you talking about the position of the judicial clerkship? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, As far as Delhi High Court is concerned, and I'm sure this is the position in other high courts also, uh, a judicial clerkship is basically a contractual job, which is in Delhi High Court, it is offered uh, for, let's say, a position. It again, it is subject to the discretion of the concerned judge. But uh, it is generally offered for uh, a period of one year which is uh, extendable up to three years. Mm. And even after three years, it can be extended subject to the discretion of the judge. But that has to be via written uh, authorization of the chief justice of that high court. I am mentioning chief justice because chief justice is the head of the administrative side of the uh, concerned court. So all the rules and regulations are Signed by the Chief Justice because it is in his authority that those rules and regulations are framed. So, uh, so it is as far as Delhi High Court is concerned. I am sure that this is the scenario in other courts as well. It is extendable up to three years, and even after that, it can be extended subject to the discretion of the judge with the written permission of the Chief Justice concerned. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's one age requirement in Delhi High Court. I forgot to tell you about that. Uh, the candidate should be uh, less than 27 years of age uh, on the date of application. Okay. So I have
0: still one year to apply. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So we got a overall idea of what work it includes. So can you just uh, break it down into what, how is your daily routine in a court when it was working before the COVID times?
1: Before the COVID time, our our daily schedule was that you have to necessarily attend the court proceedings. Even if I would, this is my personal advice, even if, um, you know, you you think that you can work more effectively on the matters which are listed tomorrow by sitting in uh, the chambers and then you can prepare briefs on that. But I would advise the aspirants who want to become judicial clerks to attend judicial proceedings daily from 10:30 to 4:30 you should necessarily attend the judicial proceedings daily because there it gives you an unmatchable experience uh, and this is what uh, judicial clerkship is all about so so any uh, so we attend judicial proceedings daily then after that daily orders are finalized we fact check uh, uh, let's say there are 40 50 matters listed usually there were 40 50 matters listed on a daily basis but when we were in the education roster uh, there were 100 matters uh, which were listed on a daily basis. So, you know, fact checking all those orders, then the con- the concerned judge uh, I clerk under, he also sits in, the, uh, in his chambers until 9pm or 10pm uh, till the time the work does not get finished. And he ensures that all the orders are, you know, corrected, signed. So we correct them, then they go to the concerned judge, then he makes the corrections. And then those are signed and uploaded so that the orders can get uh, you know transmitted to the parties and then whatever steps are to be taken can be taken. Then, in addition to that, the work in the work uh, involves you know briefing, uh, pre- preparing uh, briefs about the matters which are listed you know the next day. So the cause list comes. Uh, the day prior, in the evening, at about five o'clock or six o'clock, you know that these are the matters which are listed tomorrow. You read those files. You, whatever important matters are there, or whatever matters are listed for arguments, you know from the previous order that this matter is listed for arguments, and this matter, uh, nothing much will be done in this matter. Mm-hmm. So, so you need to, you know, shortlist those matters. You need to brief the, brief the boss. Has to these these matters are important, and in these arguments are. Likely, if there are any fresh matters, you need to prepare a list of dates, a common list of dates. See, uh, when you're interning under an office of an attorney, it is very easy to uh, prepare a list of dates. Uh, this is what I learned from my boss because uh, he ensured that we learned this. When you work under an office of an attorney, you only need, you only have one fixed perception in mind. Mm. That you know that which way the case you want to proceed. Which way yeah. the case will yeah, 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 decide but you know which way you want to proceed so you pick up only those dates which are convenient to you right in the office of the judge you have to you can't miss out on any detail you have to uh, pick out each and every date irrespective of the fact that it suits the, the petitioner or the respondent because in decision making process you have to weigh both the sides equally after weighing both the sides you need to uh, you need to you know decide as to which side is a bit heavier where where obviously legal uh, question is answered so preparing list of dates is a very important part of the law clerk's life then uh, preparing brief of arguments and briefing the judge then judge may also uh, question you about uh, have you read about this uh, provision have you read about this principle did you do any recent follow up as to what are the recent judgments of the supreme court assisting the judge with with that. So, you know, it's a job as if it won't let you sleep. In the night also, you'll be, keep on thinking, if the judge asks this question in the morning, what should your answer be? So, that's the daily routine, uh, which is most likely to be there.
0: Yeah, and it's really a tedious job. I agree. There are even some judges, I'm not sure about the name, but in Bombay High Court, I think it was Justice Kathawala. Yes. Right? So, who used to um, hear matters Till midnight, uh, one AM or so, right?
1: Yes, yes. This is the practice which uh, so, sort of was followed by the judge concerned under whom I work in education matters. See, in education policy matters, the the thing is that people will file a pe- the student will file a petition against the Delhi University or mm-hmm. Guru Gobind Singh University. And you know, in, in, in education policy, the, uh, there's a Supreme Court judgment which says that cutoff date is sacrosanct. So any for any admission, there is a cut-off date, and that cut-off date is sacrosanct. So let's say that there is a there is a technical irregularity uh, which has been committed by the university concerned. Okay, mm. and the petitioner approaches the court with a writ petition. Two days afterwards is a is the cut-off date. So you see how much is the pressure on the court. The, the, these matters require adjudication as of yesterday. Everyone will say, "Here my matter," not only here hear my matter, decide, he decide the judgment also and pronounce the judgment also. So you see, it's it's a very, very tedious task. You know, uh, we, we people say that, you know, being a judge is a, uh, you know, this is what uh, I have been, I was hearing in my law school that being a judge is a luxurious position. You know, as fancy as it may sound, it is not. Because a judge works really, really hard. Oh, after hearing the matters, people think that the judge's work is over. It is not. He has to correct all the orders. Then he has to do the pending judgments. There are reserved judgments which are there. He has to read next day's files also. So it's a, it's a it's a lot of work which is involved, and and it's not an easy job. It's not an easy job.
0: Yeah. So people usually compare to like how many hours the court is open. Like they only work for ten to four or ten yes, to five. That's an incorrect perception. Before that and after that also there is a lot of work yes. which every court and every court staff does, which is not, you know, popularly known. It's
1: so an educational policy matters, that's what I was telling you that because we had 100 matters daily, it was impossible to complete the list by 4.30. So the concerned judge uh, under whom I am working, we used to uh, hold courts till 7 o'clock, 7.30, straight away from, from 10.30. Only half an hour break in the afternoon from 30 to 2 o'clock. Then again, starting from 2 o'clock, continuously till 7 o'clock. And after that, if you, uh, you know, you have to do orders and all that, your mind just gives up. So, it's it's a very tedious job. Uh, and, you know, judges,
0: judges do that. Okay, so we got an overview about how courts work and uh, how judges and all work. But can you tell me just, how beneficial it is for young law graduates in terms of his career growth?
1: See, Prasanna, let's say that a person wants to pursue higher studies. Because this is an incorrect perception which many people have as far as I have witnessed. Many people say that if you have law a clerkship and this is the most incorrect uh, perception which young law students have. First of all, to clear all the uh, air, uh, if you apply for uh, a master's degree, you are required to submit academic references, not professional references. Okay. You cannot submit the reference of the judge. You you may submit his reference in maybe for a for assistance of your scholarship, but as far as admission application is concerned. You know, as far as the universities I know, I, I'm talking about Oxford, I'm talking about Cambridge, I'm talking about London School of Economics. These universities mandatorily say that you cannot submit professional uh, professional references. You have to submit academic references. Academic references are those references, teachers who have taught you in your law school life. Yeah,
0: teachers or the principal of yes. your law school Yes so this air which is there
1: that you know uh, get a recommendation work there one year get a recommendation and then you know rush off to the uh, to the race of the world that is an incorrect uh, perception you know uh, and yeah. about the advantages of uh, of law clerk position as you ask that how it helps many people will say that it helps you to learn what you should argue as to how you should argue According to me, while working under uh, under uh, the chambers of the judge and watching judicial proceedings daily, a person understands what not to argue. Hmm. You, you learn that court craft as to what legal points will please the judge. How should your argument be structured that it would please the judge? You don't have to be... This is what, uh, you know, uh, is is quintessential in the times of uh, COVID when we are running virtual courts, that you don't have to be lengthy enough because in physical courts, you have the liberty to, you know, go on and on and on. But in virtual courts, you don't have that liberty. You have to be crisp and you you have to be able to convey your point to the judge. So a person learns how right. not to argue. When you have those conversations with, with the judge, those conversations are really, really important. because. That not only develops your legal understanding, but also develops you as a person. Because you are interacting with authority of such a nature that maybe this is a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And and as I mentioned in the beginning, you get a holistic understanding of different areas of law, irrespective of your research interest. So that is how uh, it helps the, the students. I have seen many students who want to go, as you uh, told me that you work with a public policy think tank. Uh, there are many students uh, I have seen that they uh, wish to go for public policy. What they do is they identify the office of a judge who is which is presently dealing in matters of constitutional significance which is basically you know the db the division bench one or the division bench two of the concerned court because all the public interest litigations are uh, heard by uh, division benches uh, of two judges uh, and uh, you know so a person shortlists office of that particular judge and then they work under that particular judge for let's say even a short period for let's say six months or seven months and then they g- gain that experience and then they up- start working with a public policy think tank because now what is the edge they have is they know what arguments to put in a public interest litigation, what arguments to put in a public interest litigation which will definitely impress upon the judge. Right. Art of art of drafting, art of arguing is, uh, the, these are the... Uh, you know i I may go on talking about this because there is no limit as to what are the things which you under uh, which, which you inculcate and learn but uh but you know as i said it gives you a holistic exposure of the field of law
0: agree agree let's move on to the last question which we usually have in our podcast can you share an incident from your clerkship career which is very memorable to you
1: uh, each and every day is a struggle, Prasanna. But okay, uh, I'll because I have been most fascinated about the educational roster which the judge handled. I'll I'll share a, a case uh, from that. What happened was, uh, as I told you, that that roster was allocated to us in uh, after three months. Let's say November two thousand nineteen, uh, October two thousand nineteen. August or October, September, October, two thousand nineteen. That education roster was allocated to us. One day, a matter came which said which said writ petition number so and so of year five years, let's two thousand fifteen. I was very uh, disappointed. I have always been very disappointed before coming uh, before acting as a law clerk as to why. Uh, matters take so much of time to get adjudication. Now that I have worked under a judge's office, I know as to why they take so much of time. But, uh, you know, I I was very disappointed because uh, there there was an educational, there's an education board in India. Let's say Mm. x So, uh, what did x uh, So The students who were the petitioners before uh, the court were a group of students who were abandoned and forsaken by their parents. And... Uh, there, there was a child care home, uh, let's say ABC, who actually took them, uh, took those students in their care, good people. Uh, and then they also, you know, those those petitioner students also had the benefit of uh, getting education uh, through that child care home. So those, those students completed grade 10 and subsequently also cleared grade, grade 12 examination, which to them was a very big thing. Because mm. they would have ever thought that it, they would be able to reap the benefits of education. But given the uh, the good things about the ABC care home, they were able to do that. Now, the one problem which was there with the education board XYZ was that whenever you file or register yourself for grade 10 or grade 12 examination, Prasanna, mm. ask you your name as well as your surname okay so if a person does not have a surname he has to create a surname in order to register for the uh, in order to uh, give the grade 12 because the form will not accept your only first name it has, right. to, has to be a surname okay so those students what they uh, what they wrote was uh, while they were filing the application first name let's say they wrote karan and the second name because they did not file their application the care filed their application uh, they wrote the second name. They wrote ABC, the name of the care center. Okay. okay. Uh, so they wrote their name as Karan ABC, just mm. for the purposes of clearing or you know, uh, uh, willing to sit for the those examinations. After they graduated from grade twelve, because there are other documents which were there, uh, uh, other government identifications which were there, they had only first name. They mm. had only in that. So they want their second name or the third name, what we call it, uh, which is ABC, to be removed mm. from their grade 10 and grade 12 mark sheets. That's oh. the only issue. That is the only issue which is there in the matter. And that matter is pending for five years, was, five, was pending for five years, because uh, the, the educational board XYZ was on each and every day taking time to revert with instructions as for five
0: what,
1: years. Yes. Many dates were taken for five years. So when uh, when the judge concerned, uh, you know, when this matter came before the court under whom I work, we heard arguments for one day and then the judgment was reserved by the concerned judge. In the arguments, it came to be that the concerned educational board XYZ did have some rules for change of name. The argument of the XYZ board was that, uh, you know, we have rules for change of name and uh, the change of name does not, uh, you know, uh, include such a scenario where, uh, which talks about abandoned students or forsaken students. And the change of name can be done only within one year. This petition is belated because it has been filed after several years. The argument of students was that we are students, we are abandoned students. The fact that we are filing this petition itself is a is is a big thing for us because that was I think uh, a pro bono litigation, and uh, it's it's not our mistake that we are forsaken we are abandoned. It is because the X Y Z board wanted a surname that we included a surname. Otherwise, we were willing to give our exams by only by our first, first name. name. Mm-hmm. So you know. Uh, this, this was a case when, when arguments were heard and judgment was reserved. This was a case where the law is of no use because there is a vacuum in the law. Right. There is no rule of the X Y Z board, or there is no statute which says that if there is an abandoned student or a forsaken student, if he wants, if he or she wants to, you know, uh, go back to his identity which was there. Uh, then you should take these steps Mm. there is no uh, provision whatsoever so the XYZ board did not foresee such a situation if I may put it in that in in those words did not foresee such a situation so while we were discussing an interesting discussion uh, you know took place then what we essentially did was uh, the the judge essentially relied upon uh, the international the United Nations International Convention on Child Rights, mm-hmm. you know, to say that each and every child has his has his own own uh, individualistic identity, and on that we uh, and on that the court directed the board uh, to to you know uh, take steps remove the name remove the ABC current. Uh, after current the ABC which was there, remove ABC and then issue them fresh mark sheets. So, you know, this is one of the, uh, there are many memorable incidents, but this is one of the most memorable incidents, although it was a short case. You know, see how short the legal point was. But still the matter was lingering on for five years just because of the incapability, if I may say so, or uh, maybe incapability is the harsh word, or let's say a prosaic attitude of the XYZ uh, education board to deal with the matter because they say that our hands are tied and we. This is the problem with the instrumentalities of state in, in our country that, uh, you know, they they are not willing to take one step forward.
0: Yeah. they Basically, they were not looking at finding the solution. They are saying yeah. this is the law, these are the rules and we are abiding the rules. Exactly. Exactly my point. So...
1: So this is where the court comes into the picture, and I think international convention on child rights talks about the parents' patri uh, principle also, which says that the uh, if if those childrens are forsaken or abandoned, then the state should uh, you know exercise that parent jurisdiction, and in that in this case the the state should have been the X Y Z board because it's an instrumentality of the state. If it fails to do so, then the parents' patri jurisdiction will be exercised by the courts. Because you have failed in your duty, the remedies, courts and courts are exercising their jurisdiction. So that novel, uh, you know, reasoning was developed in that uh, judgment by relying upon the international conventions. And then so in education roster, whenever the, the judge used to say, you know, th- there were petitioner in persons appearing in many matters. The students themselves used to come because the advocates were not able to explain the nitty gritties of the admission process. Where is the university gone wrong? So the students used to explain. And then when the judge used to say that, okay, petition allowed or admission is granted, that that smile which came on uh, on, on the face of the students or the petitioner students, you know, that that smile is enough to say that, you know, this is the job satisfaction
0: uh, which, which you get. And I think and, that is the main reason why it is very memorable to you.
1: Yes, yes. So this is one of the most uh, wildly guessed uh, incidents which I can share with you.
0: Okay. Thanks Karan thanks for sharing your experience with us and also for this informative conversation. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you like this episode then you must also check out our other podcast episode available here and follow us here so that you don't miss any new episode. Thank you. Thank you Mr. Thank you.